Back in the late 80s and early 90s, when I was a closeted high school student, Madonna was my pop star of choice, living out all of my secret gay boy fantasies of fame, fortune, and endless opportunities to have sex with a buffet of beautiful men whenever she wanted. Fast forward 30 years, and now we have Lil Nas X, who creates sexy music videos, makes out with boys on live TV, and claps back to all the haters on Twitter in the most spectacular way. It will come as no shock to you that I'm a huge fan. While describing his appeal in a recent profile in the New York Times, journalist Jasmine Hughes came up with a great description of Lil Nas, and in the process, perfectly describes why I work so hard to produce Fruit Bowl. She writes, Nas's project is to move past the mainstream and publicly acceptable practice of queerness, which is often so divorced from actual sexual pleasure that it can feel neutered. It's one thing to accept a gay person, as many do, by ignoring what we do behind closed doors. But it's quite another to embrace gay people as sexual beings who can also enact an identity just as straight people so proudly, publicly, and lucratively do, in part through sex itself. Unlike many of his predecessors, Nas's claim to his sexuality is explicit. I just think that what straight people think of our sexuality and our sexual behavior is no longer important or relevant. I want Fruit Bowl to be a platform for us to communicate with each other on our own terms, just like Lil Nas does. So thanks to Lil Nas X for helping all of us see what queer sexuality without apology looks like right now. And thanks to Miss Hughes for providing the words to define it. Fruit Bowl is produced independently by me, Dave Kwanick, without any financial sponsors, advertising revenue, or production support. The only consistent funding right now is $93 a month from 19 patrons. Big thanks to my latest patrons, David H., Fred M., and Lee M., if you'd like to learn more about how to support Fruit Bowl, visit fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate. All right, that's it for me. Now here's Nathan. And he was like, I have to talk to you about something. And I was like, what? He's like, I saw the lotion in your bedroom. And he's like, I know what you did with that lotion. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you touched yourself with the lotion. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> and I was like, no, I didn't. He goes, you know, Nathan, there are girls in this house. He's like, if you jerk off in the wrong way and leave it on a towel or the toilet, you can get your sister pregnant. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what? Are you serious? Like, are you fucking serious? Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. My name is Nathan, I'm 29, and I graduated high school in 2009. This interview was recorded in August of 2020 in Portland, Oregon. I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, my parents immigrated here from Egypt and had me in Jersey City. I had two older sisters who were like my childhood bullies. They are five and four years older than me, so they are very close, and I am the squirt brother and a grandma that lived with us. And my grandma and I were super close. We shared a room until I was like 10, which is uncomfortable. 
I still loved it. Um, she was my best friend. And she's like probably the one person I can really identify that showed me unconditional love. And I like firmly believe she would have accepted some sort of, sort of queer version of me that my family doesn't. We moved to the suburbs when I was like starting elementary school. Union County, uh, Fanwood is the name of the town. It was like a very small town. Like we shared, we shared our school with another town. And so it was small enough that like we had to combine the kids that would go between townships. So like in the context of New Jersey, it's small, but right in the context of America, it's like big. So I still had a class of like 300. But in New Jersey, that's like very small. Even though we left Jersey City, we actually like split our time um, because my dad still had his business. Uh, he was like a small grocery bodega owner in Jersey City, which he kept throughout all his career. And so we worked there during the summers when we were out of school and our church was in Jersey City. And because we were so religious, like I spent all of my weekends in Jersey City, like Friday through Sunday. And so my childhood very much was split between weekdays and like Fanwood doing school and family stuff only. And then Jersey City was like church and our friends and all this other stuff. I went to an all Egyptian Arabic speaking church that was also Presbyterian. Egyptian Christianity is all sort of sourced from being Coptic. And that means they are Egyptians that have descended from a sect of Christianity that's like older in some histories than like uh, Catholicism. And so I went to a church that was just Egyptians, but there was a sect of Presbyterians versus the original Copts. And so I was a Presbyterian Egyptian Christian. Jersey City is like one of the first immigration stops for Egyptians. So like Jersey City's one, I think there's one in Dearborn, Michigan, and a couple of other cities. But, like, Jersey City is, like, the, the tri-state area hub. Um, and so, like, you, you stop there. You have a family member that, like, supports you and helps you there. And then you, like, succeed and move across America if you want to migrate. And so the church just ended up being there. And so even though other people would move away for jobs or for, like, better income status and they'd imagine the American dream being a suburb and having their kids go to a good school. And so they'd have that life and then go to Jersey City to like meet the Egyptians and stay connected. I have the great privilege of having like two forms of like oppression attacking me, right? So like having extremely Christian roots and extremely Middle Eastern roots where you have like a governmental culture of like stoning people to death potentially for being queer. And so the Christianity and it's like, you know, very homophobic. And so homosexuality was not really talked about, but like sexuality was like kind of this, like, we don't talk about it. And if it's on TV, we turn it off. Um, my first memory of someone talking about gay people in our church community was we had like this membership class where like you become a member of the church. And this one girl who was like, had to have been like 19. And she's like, I want to know how the church feels about gays because I don't want a gay person teaching my kid. And like, that was like my first memory of hearing someone I knew talk about gay people, as in like, you should not let gay people near children. I grew up uh, with my dad basically working from 10 a.m. till 11 p.m., so I didn't really see him, so yay, daddy issues. Um, anyone can explain what an absent father does to you. It's just like not great. 
and mix that in with like wanting you to have more masculine characteristics and play sports and you're just like great you fucked me up so I, I never really saw my dad that much and my mom was a stay-at-home mom and so I was like around women all the time growing up in a like such a large amount of females I just like felt a lot of feminist like equality like energy and my mom like was like one of the first deacons in our church that was a female and like really like empowered the women like in our community i grew up in a relatively more uh free experience than my sisters like we both grew in a very strict christian household but like i was a boy and so, like, I got the rare things, like, I got to sleep over people's houses where my sisters didn't. That was, like, a no-no, because, like, what if there's boys there? And, like, you know, you can get raped, but, like, a boy, you're fine. It's fine. Just go. Uh, and so, to them, I've had this, like, liberal life and has empowered me to be more truthful. And meanwhile, they, like, couldn't go out with their friends and they had to date people in secret. And I, like, told my mom when I dated a girl. And I'm like, well, guess what? Like, I also, like, fuck dudes in secret and didn't tell mom because, like, she didn't like that either. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> my sisters basically, like, I went to college and I guess they somehow, like, flipped a switch and they're like, oh, you're, like, an adult now or human and we'll, like, actually treat you, like, you know, an equal. They, like, got their college degrees. One's an engineer, one's a doctor. They are much more liberal than my parents, but they're not as liberal as me. So yeah, it's just like they've had such a restrictive life. And so it like boggles my mind to think that they would want me to be restricted if they hated it. I remember like in second grade, someone like was like, oh, you know, like procreation is like when you put a penis in a vagina and that's how a baby's born. And I was like, absolutely not. Like I was like, Jesus delivers babies. Like, you know, he just shows up and gives you a baby and that's what you get. And I remember, like, I didn't even want to ask my parents. I was like, this is something we talk about. My grandma had, like, this back shoulder massager. And somehow I was playing with it, put it on my penis, was like, this feels new. Um, and, like, played with it until I got my first orgasm. And I, like, had to have been, like, eight or nine. And so, like, I didn't ejaculate. And then I kept doing it, right? And it must have been like a couple of years. And then I ejaculated for the first time and I was like, holy shit, what's happening? I'm going to die. <laughs> um, it was like, oh my God, like something just came out of me. I had no idea. And like, I still hadn't learned what ejaculation was. And so it was just like really weird disconnect. It was like this weird thing I do and I ejaculate and I think I might be dying. And then fourth grade came up and, you know, I definitely heard about how health class was going to happen in like fifth and sixth grade. And there was this like awareness that like, if you told your parents, they might sign something that like prevents you from learning about it. And it was like all the Christian like community talks about it. And so they're like, Oh, like beware, like the kids are going to learn health. So look out for the permission slip so you can sign it. So they don't learn about it. And so I just like did not tell my parents I was like, mm, I don't know what we're talking about. Like, no health class. And so then I learned about sex through health class. And it was very, again, systematic. Like, this is about, you know, creating a baby. And here's what your puberty is going to do. And nothing about, like, pleasure or, like, intimacy. Or there, there was, like, this concept of, like, procreation happens after you're married in Christianity. And then you're going to have babies. And the two become one means sex. So, you know, that's sex. And you're like, okay. And then, like... I started getting obviously like aroused by everything around me. And so, which is why it took me such a long time to come out. Cause it was just like, 
I had this weird duality of just being attracted to like what I called then women and just women and men. And so I was like, oh, like one of these is wrong. One of these is right. And that's why homosexuality is wrong. Cause like I need to procreate. I need to like be with this person and create this one triune like thing with God. And so um, that's the way to go. And this is wrong. I thankfully discovered this website pretty early on that I was like embarrassed obviously to have found. It was called Jack in the World, I think. It must have been in middle school because like I could comprehend everything it like talked about. It was like when I realized I didn't need the massager and I was like, oh, I can use my hands for this. And because I'm circumcised, like I can't jerk off like dry. And so then I was like, oh, like you just need lube or like spit or something. And then you could just use your hand. And then it was like, oh, how do you masturbate? And then I found Jack in the World. And it was this actual like masturbation encyclopedia. It was not porn. It had some link to porn, but like really it was like how to masturbate. And it was like, um, like these weird iconographies, like the jackhammer. And then it was like, or you can try like the rodeo. And it was like, try all these different ways of masturbating. Like, or it was like, grab your balls and like do this thing and do the twisteroo. And it was just like, here's what you can do to achieve an orgasm. And here are the different techniques that you can use. That was like super helpful. Cause it was just like, it was like, here's how, here's how to play with yourself. Like just have fun. And it, it wasn't like, here's the sexual stimulus or here's someone else doing it. It's like, here's this like toolkit, like have fun. So I was around 11 when I first like saw porn. We used to buy these like contemporary Christian albums. So like it, imagine it's like the now hits, it was called Wow. And we used to buy like Wow Hits 2002. Um, and so Wow 2000, oh my God. So now I can remember the first time I saw porn was in the year 2000. That's really cool. Okay. Um, and so Wow 2000 came with a porn blocker. And it was like really important so that when you put it into your window CD, it was like, Christian protection, like you need this blocker. It's gonna prevent you from like your kids seeing sex. And I'm like, kids, like I'm the kid. What parent right now actually knows how to use a CD-ROM? Like I'm alone watching this, tell me more. <laughs> and so they basically talk about how there's like in the internet, there lies like all this porn and it's like dangerous for kids. And the people doing it are so evil and manipulative that they're using common URLs that will trick you. And so the URL they use as an example was whitehouse.com. Um, and they're like, white, and they, I don't even know, they're so dumb they used the real example. Cause they were like, whitehouse.com, you'd think would take you to our White House. You know, like the, the national White House give you links to the president, but it doesn't. It's like whitehouse.gov and whitehouse.com is porn. And so I'm like, I need to check out whitehouse.com. And so I checked out whitehouse.com. I'm like, holy shit. I mean, it was like straight titty porn, but it was like, there was a cock there. It like did something. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. I need to like dive into this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I like porn. And so um, I dove into porn and that porn really quickly turned into gay porn. And it was like, oh, I like these muscles and I like these hair and I like this cock. And, you know, I, I still remember like these websites I'd go to like, there was one called like Twisted Gay Links. And it was like these little HTML websites that were made like for me, I guess, in that like they're just 
fast links to previews of porn. So like if you couldn't afford porn, you just like would scroll through this and then just like watch preview clips until you could like come. And that was like how I got into like, that's how I found gay porn. I definitely like remember the first time I orgasmed every time I masturbated, like this immense shame as soon as I finished. Like, like God had just seen me and like thunder was in my head and it was like, like you are going to hell. And that like happened all throughout my childhood. And then like, as I got older, there was like these Christian moments that would just like enforce it. Like you can't do that. That's objectifying someone. You can't think about them that way. You're going to become a cruel person if you think about them that way. You're going to like rape and pillage, you know? It, it's like this thought that like being overly sexualized just inherently means you're going to become an evil person. And I think you learned later, or like maybe it was in the same time, about certain sexual activity that was wrong in the Bible. And so like things like would randomly pop up like, oh, spilling your seed is wrong and masturbation is wrong. We had people in our youth class come and give us talks. And it would be like, we need to talk about Mr. Smiley Face. And the smiley face was your erection? And I'm just like, it, I think it must have been like in a, in a circumcised penis, there's like a smile like with your head. And so that's why it's called Mr. Smiley Pants. I like never understood why it was called that, but it was basically like, you're gonna get erections, you're gonna like objectify women. And when you objectify them, you're not gonna see them like your sisters in Christ. You know, you're gonna treat them like, as like objects and animals. And that's, we're better than that. And so you can't look at them that way. And so don't fucking touch yourself. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? And, and what was interesting is like, it really manifested in me in such a weird way. Cause it's like, it's still hard for me to objectify women in that. Like, I think I was one like raised in a feminist household and then like you're taught as a Christian, like don't look at the opposite sex overly sexualized. And so it kind of gave me free range with men to just really objectify them. Cause I'm like, oh, this is an equal playing field. You're a man, I'm a man. Like, this is just like the scene. And so I can objectify you. And then at the end of the scene, I'm gonna humanize you. You're still human, you're great. Like, that's what we can do. But because of like society and because of what I was taught, it's just like, it's so hard to do that with a woman. Cause it's just like, I know I'm part of like a patriarchy society. I know that like objectifying women is seen as bad. And so like those two together just feels like it's really hard to have any sort of like power dynamic with someone of, like full female cis identification. Cause it's like, it just feels like really difficult. I met my best friend, Michelle, freshman year. We like met at the gym. We were like all hanging out and she had gone to my middle school, but we just never had like enough classes together. And we were sitting in gym and I totally forget what first bonded us, but like I found a leopard book sock freshman year 
in the gym. And I was like, oh my God, I have to keep this. It's so economical. Because it was just like pretty leopard. I didn't really care that it was leopard. But I was like, I'm going to use this because like my parents couldn't afford the fancy like book socks. We always did like the paper bag like recycling. So I'm like, oh my God, it's my first book sock. And she's like, and you're okay with a leopard print? And I was like, yeah, who the fuck cares? It looks great. And she was like, I'm going to keep you. <laughs> and then we became best friends since then. I mean, like she was the definition of a fag hag. And she tried so hard to like get me to accept myself. She was like, she founded the Straight Gay Alliance, like in our school. I was like a good Christian kid. I was president of like my Bible club. And I just like comically would be like, isn't it amazing that like the president of Bible club and SGA are like best friends? Like this is how the world should work. I don't think we ever like talked about sex and like had no concept that like she was fully aware of my sexuality and that she was just like trying to help me. When Leonardo DiCaprio uh, paints, um, see, I don't even remember who the woman is, so it says yeah. something about me, uh, paints the, the nude, the main character. Um, Rose. Rose, thank you. And so I just remember watching that and being aroused and being very confused what I was aroused by because I was aroused the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio was painting her. And so it was this like weird thing and then they had sex in that like caboose where it was getting all steamy and I was like, yes, this is amazing. But like, I couldn't understand who or what I wanted to be. I just wanted to be like a part of it. And so that was like a weird first crush, like, scene more than it was a person and it was just like this weird fascination where i connected being erect to something in front of me versus like my just random boner uh, and so it was like a, a crush or a connection point but then like i like had trouble having crushes with real people because there was such a duality of like being attracted to men was wrong and then like i couldn't objectify females because christianity and like my sister's told me like, you can't objectify them. And so crushes were just really hard because it's like, oh, do I like them or am I lusting after them? Was that like constant question? And then with men, like I couldn't even entertain it because it was just like wrong. But then like what would happen is like, my crushes would be like this manifestations of like sex scenes because of the porn I was watching. And so I remember like one of my biggest crushes was like, we had these like two like macho masculine men in our football team. And it, one of them was uh, like, ironically, one was like this white guy, typical like quarterback guy. And then the other quarterback was this like black guy with like dreads. And I remember like just having these intense erotic fantasies of like the, the black kids wanting to fight with the white kids in the football team. And like one group overpowering another group and then like dominating them. Like we're gonna fuck you in this locker room. And so like, I would just look in the locker room and be like, this is where this happens. And I'd just like get hard. Like when I changed my clothes for gym, because I'm like, this is where it's gonna happen. This is amazing. And like, it would always play out. Like every jerk off session is like, okay, this time Mikey's gonna win and he's gonna overpower Brandon. And then like, fuck him with all his friends. And then like this time Brandon's gonna win. And like, he's gonna make him, like make Mikey suck all of their cocks until they all like bukake all over him. And it's gonna be so fucking hot. And then I jerk off and I'd come. And so like my crushes like then formed into these like interesting sex scenes rather than it being like, 
I want to be with this person and live the rest of my life with them. I had those fantasies about them. And then I joined the football team seventh grade um, because my parents, wow, these are connections I have not made. Uh, <laughs> my parents were like, you need to do sports. And it was like a masculinity enforcer thing, but also like a, you're getting fat. So like you need to start exercising because we're not going to stop feeding you because, you know, that's not how you lose weight. It's uh, we're going to make you do exercise. And so they were like, pick a sport. And I chose football and I hated it. I hated everything about it because they bullied me. Like I used to run and I was the last person on that line that was running and they'd like bark at you to keep going. It's just like toxic, toxic sport. And then I would continue having these fantasies though. Cause I'd be like, this is what you get. One of you will overpower the other and have sex. dated a girl at my church who also has like great A-type masculine energy, um, which is why I identified that I really actually was in love with her. Interesting. And so we dated and it was awkward because like we dated each other at our church and like she lived in Brooklyn and I lived in Fanwood and we'd only see each other at church. And so like we would like hold hands and do all this stuff. And then like we'd run away to the Rite Aid down the block to like make out. And things obviously escalated. And so we had phone sex for the first time. And that was like us just like, you know, jerking off while telling each other how much we wanted to like do stuff. And then one time she gave me, it was like a out of the pants hand job. Like we were grinding and then she just like switched from grinding me with all of our clothes on in this Rite Aid uh, to like playing with my cock on my jeans and I came. And so that was my first like, sexual experience that was like physical with someone else in the right aid in a right aid yeah um that right how did that work exactly we just like found a corner and did it i mean like you just like make out and you're just like rubbing on each other and it was like i mean what was it it was like a two minute interaction right like i'm 16 you're 16 you can come in a second um and my first kiss happened there and i hated it because when we kissed at the, it's a right it's a music's playing and Fergie Big Girls Don't Cry was on and I was like this is the worst song to say your first kiss happened with is Big Girls Don't Cry by Fergie <laughs> and I remember just being really irritated by it <laughs> that like my first kiss was with Fergie my parents did not have a talk with me the closest thing I got to a talk that I can at least remember, because maybe I blocked it out, was one time, it was like so late, it was literally I was home from college and it was winter break and I fell in the shower and broke my finger. And it was because like my, my, my sisters like didn't have that like slip and like grippy thing. And so I just like was soaping myself, I slipped on soap and my father immediately looked at me, he's like, it's because you touched yourself. And I was like, whoa, no, like I didn't, I, I would admit it. Like, I don't have an embarrassment of telling you like in a medical emergency, if I jerked off, no, I broke my finger cause I slipped. And he just like, to this day is like, he like thinks that I broke that finger cause I was jerking off and fell in the tub. And then another time my dad just like randomly in the backyard, like was doing gardening with me. And he was like, I have to talk to you about something. And I was like, what? He's like, I saw the lotion in your bedroom. And this isn't my bedroom. This is like 
the guest bedroom that, you know, everyone uses when I'm in college. And so there was just like a lotion bottle in it. And he's like, I know what you did with that lotion. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you touched yourself with the lotion. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> and I was like, no, I didn't. He goes, you know, Nathan, if you jerk off and you, there are girls in this house. And I was like, what is that? What? He's like, if you jerk off in the wrong way and leave it on a towel or the toilet, you can get your sister pregnant. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what? Are you serious? Like, are you fucking serious? Like, you really thought and think that, like, I could impregnate my sister by leaving semen on a towel? And you think, like, my sisters are, like, taking towels and, like, putting them in a coochie? Like, what? And he was like, yeah. So, like, don't do it. And I was like, all right, dad. All right. And so those were my sex talks. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know if those are sex talks, but like, yeah, interesting. I dated a girl on and off in college. She didn't know as much about sex as I did because I had at that point gone to college and like watched thousands of hours of porn. And so I knew about jerking off. I knew how to like touch a woman in a pornographic way. And so thankfully I had some girlfriends teach me that's not how you touch girls. Um, and so like I, I learned to finger her and I ate her out once, twice. And I was like, this is interesting. And she like tried to give me a hand job once and did not know what to do. She like, someone told her to like stroke my inner thigh. And so she started scratching me. Like I had an itch and then... She like grabbed my balls really aggressively and then she grabbed my cock and she's like, oh my God, this is huge. And I was like, um, no, it's not. Uh, and that's because like, obviously like I looked at porn and I was like, you know, my thick like five inch dick is like nothing. She was like, this is huge. I don't know what to do with it. And I'm like, just play with it. Like, it's fine. And she's like, I don't know. She like slapped it around. And I'm like, we could stop, please stop. And so I like didn't do anything else with her. I like focused on pleasuring her. I, I gave her her first orgasm. Um, which is, I mean, that's great. I'm glad I was able to do that for her, but it definitely felt weird to have this like mutual imbalance. And so then I finally learned to accept that I was bi after talking to my friend, Tony. I met Tony the end of my freshman year in college. And he was like, I'm going to ask you some really simple questions and you should answer them like really straightforward. And I was like, okay. He's like, if you think about a really sexy woman, do you think you're going to get hard? And I was like, yeah, that's possible. And he's like, if you think about a man in a sexy way, do you think you can get hard? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, okay, so you're probably bisexual. <laughs> and he was like, also like, I have to tell you like that woman, no matter what woman it is, it like won't get me hard. And my brain just went like, holy shit. Like being gay is something in and itself. And what I have is a little different. And it's like, not everyone, like not everyone thinks this way or feels this way. And I was like, oh my God, like I think I'm bi. We had such great dialogues because we were talking about homophobia and racism and ageism and ableism. And we were like, oh, these are all like synonymous. Uh, and we became friends like for maybe two years. And it was in our second year that like I was really able to have this conversation with him that really made it easy in some simple way to really understand that like I am my own unique experience that everyone else doesn't have. Um, and I'm also not like a binary, like, and so 
in opening my brain that much, I was able to really just feel like, oh, it's totally okay to be bisexual. And it's totally okay to be gay. And those are separate things and not the same thing. And both should exist. And so I was like, what the hell? Like, why do people not like gay people? Like, it's just like, this makes no sense. And then like things started clicking. And so here I am today. I fully came out to myself junior year of college and I didn't tell anyone from before that, except for Michelle. And she was the, one of the first people I came out to outside of my, my Cornell like college group. Um, and when I told Michelle, she cried uh, in a very like, I'm so happy. Like, I'm so relieved. Like, I didn't think this could happen. I was like, so worried that you were gonna just live your life not accepting this part of you. And it was like, so obvious. Such a flaming fag. In college, I had like three phone charms and leopard print books, like as my book socks. Uh, and I was like, how did you not just like tell me that I was like gay? And she's like, because it wouldn't work. Like the bullies said that and it didn't work, right? And I was like, okay, fine. And so I had broken up with my girlfriend at the time at Cornell and I told Michelle and she's like, oh my God, you came out you're done with a woman, I need to take you to a gay bar. And she at the time was at Columbia. And so I go to New York and I see her and she's like, so I saw this great music video. It's like really gross and disgusting and gay and I love it. And it's filmed at this place called The Cock. And so I'm gonna take you to The Cock. I, I'm 21, I turned 21 in April and this is like November. And so like I had not even started going to that many bars, let alone like a gay bar, let alone The Cock. And if you don't know what the cock is, it's the cock. I, I like don't even have the bandwidth to describe it, but it is like gay sex in the most like ready, raw, accessible way possible. And so I went to the cock and there was a Go-Go Boys and she bought me a lap dance and I got like the biggest heart I never got in my life. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like so much better than like ever being with <clears throat> the women I was with, um, which also means my spectrum is a little bit more towards male. And I was just like, this is amazing. And so I bought her a lap dance. She disappeared for a bit to get that lap dance. And I was on the dance floor and like the cock, like people greet each other by just like cupping your crotch. And so like, I just walk around and these men would just like grab my groin and just rub it. And I'm like, like, thank you. Oh my God, what? <laughs> like, it was amazing. I loved that like someone wanted to touch me and that they wanted to like fucking grab my cock and use it. And on that dance floor, I don't even fully remember who it was. I got like a blowjob, and it was amazing. It was like the first blowjob I'd ever gotten and it was like in the middle of a gay bar dance floor and he gave me a blowjob. He said, thank you. He kissed me and he walked away. And I was like, that was amazing. <laughs> and so that's how I learned about sex. <laughs> you know, like I started to connect the dots from porn and like realize that like, you know, some of it's not real and some of it is. And you get to choose what parts of it you want to be real. And you could go to the cock and, you know, get a blowjob on a dance floor if you want to. Um, those places exist, you know? Porn actually can happen in real life.
when I came out, I had a very Middle Eastern experience of like literally my mom's like tearing her clothes, like crying out to God to take this away in the middle of her living room. Like it was just like gnashing of teeth, like just like biblical, like, like in front of me. She was like, I asked you if you were gay in high school. And I was like, yeah, mom. And she was like, and you told me no. You told me you were just like watching porn. And that's why you felt guilty in high school. And I was like, I lied. I thought telling you it was just porn and not gay porn specifically would be better. And it was because when I told you I'm not gay and it's just porn, you went, thank God, it's just porn. <laughs> so you're like, um, yeah, you, you, you taught me like that I should tell you about sex stuff and not gay stuff because the gay stuff is just like extremely worse. Then my dad like woke up and he was like, I talked to your mom, what happened? Um, are, are you trans? Like, does your penis work? And I'm like, what? Like, what are these questions? And he's like, well, like, you know, like if your penis doesn't work, like this would make more sense. Um, or, or like, if you are like, you don't think you're a man. I'm like, no, I think I'm a man. My penis works great. My mother is adamant that there is a way that I can return to being heterosexual and being a good Christian. And my sisters, while they don't promote that to her, they try to tell me that I should accept that she's not going to change and she's incapable of it. And so it's just like, okay, well, if she's incapable of change and that's what you're promoting to me, like, how are you going to say that and then try to tell me to also have a relationship with her? And they just like, they don't get it. And we've had many conversations about trying to separate our relationship from our parents' relationship. And it's worked um, in some ways in that they have met my partner. They've accepted him in certain conditions. And they want to keep a relationship with me. And so they're putting in that work. Um, and so they kind of play this weird middle ground of like trying to salvage our family because they're like, oh, like Nathan, it's okay. Your, our parents don't accept you. We should just all spend time together. And I'm like, no, that doesn't really make sense. You know, like when your parents like do damaging things to you and you're like, I don't know if I can just like sit and have dinner with you um, while we don't talk about this. And so it's just weird to see that they are able to balance that or like sit in it where they're like, oh, we're going to talk to mom, even though she's like treating you like garbage. Um, so my parents still have not come around. Um, my partner and I got engaged last year um, and I avoided getting engaged in hopes that like I could get them to meet him before getting engaged. And finally we decided like, we're not gonna wait for them. Um, we've been together, you know, five years, so we should just do this. Uh, and so it took me almost a year to publicly like say it, like our friends and our community knew and our chosen family. So this last February, I just like told everyone. <laughs> And that's how my parents found out. I learned some things in college. Watching TV shows helped. But again, it's like this weird, like, romanticism that wasn't necessarily accurate. But, like, honestly, like, I rewatched Queer as Folk through the pandemic I was like, oh my God, this is like my 20s. And it was like, holy crap. Like I watched this before my 20s thinking like this was a fantasy, right? It was like, oh, like Babylon's not a real place. And I'm like, yes, it is. It's a fucking circuit party. Like those things are real. <laughs> and I remember watching these things and being like, this is just like, someone just made this up. Like people don't live their lives like this. 
And then I made that my life. And I was like, holy crap. Like, it felt so fantastical when I was so closeted that, like, you can't live this. Like, this is against the rules. This is, like, sin. They're going to go to hell, you know? And so I couldn't embrace learning about gay sex because it just felt wrong. I graduated college in 2013, and then I got an internship to work in the city that was, like, way uptown. And so so I spent my internship commuting from my parents' house in Jersey all the way up to the Upper East Side. It was, like, a two-hour commute driving and then taking the train. And so on the way home, I would just say, like, I'm going to go find sex. And so then it led to just me really starting to get into cruising. I am in, like, that middle era of, like, grinder being heavily available and still, like, cruising. And so I did, like, both. And so there was this sex shop that was on my way home from work in New Jersey that I had passed all the time growing up. Movies Unlimited uh, on Route 22 in Union, New Jersey. I was like, oh, adult bookstore. Like, that's where evil stuff is. And then, like, eventually I learned on the internet that, like, that sex shop is, like, the cruising spot of that area. If you showed up there every day between, like, 6 o'clock to, like, 8 p.m., someone there was going to get you off. You can get blowjobs. You can get fucked. You can fuck in the pack. You can fuck in the back parking lot or you can go inside and there's like this whole play area with booths and a couch and you can like play with all these people. And so that was like really interesting because it was like older men who I'd be like, wow, you like clearly look like you're married and you're just like here to get your rocks blown. But they like they always blew me and like I was always the top. I met someone at, on Craigslist at Cornell and he was a grad student and he was like really into biting my nipples so, like, we didn't have penetrative sex. He just, like, went to town on my nipples and taught me how to, like, get my nipples bitten and find pleasure in it and, like, push myself to, like, that pleasure point. And then, like, I would cruise in New York City all the time. And after work, I'd be like, oh, if I take this subway, maybe I'll check out this other porn booth store. And I did. And I was like, oh, this was terrible. I'm not coming back here. I would cruise bathrooms, like, in Grand Central. I would cruise at the path station, going to cruise at the hotel at Grand Central was like the most dangerous because you had to sneak your way through the hotel, get to the second floor, which was the conference room area, and then you just cruise there. And so there was warnings on the sites like, be careful, there's cops lur like lurking, be careful, like when someone does this, this, and this, then you might be in danger. It was like, Felt like there was like this high risk, high reward. Like if you accomplished cruising here, like this is like the big leagues, you know? Like you're in a movie. You're like, this is amazing. And so I really liked that one, but like it was hit or miss. Like there were times where I spent like 30 minutes in that bathroom and no one would show up. And I'd be like, I guess I'm gonna jerk off and go home. After a year, I like moved out and got my own apartment. And that's when I was like, oh, the internet's my oyster, I can host. And it was a shithole studio that was $800 a month. It was my studio. And I had sex as much as I could in it. <laughs> like, daily. Like, there were nights where I'd have sex with, like, three different guys in one night. I'd just be like, I can do this. This is amazing. Like, I got someone to come. They wanted to give me a blowjob. And I had a blowjob. And then uh, I was like, oh, I, I, I'm not done. Like, I want to keep going. And so I invited another guy over. And I was fucking him. And 
I have to acknowledge I have a thick cock. And so he's like, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, that's fine. And I didn't come. And so then he left and 30 minutes later, I had someone else come over to finish me off. And it was like, yep, that's great. I had three people over and two cum shots. Like, this is like what life should be like. <laughs> uh, and so that was like the first like two years when I got my apartment, I was just like having a shit ton of sex. I met my partner five years ago and we met through a mutual friend. He introduced us over Facebook and did not disclose that we were like sexually compatible. And so like we played this like weird game of like, why did our friend introduce us with each other? Uh, are you new to New York? He's like, no, I'm not new to New York. I've been here for two years. Are you new to New York? I'm like, no. And like, you're in education and I'm an engineer. So like, what are we doing? I'm like, okay, nice to e-meet you. Uh, and fast forward to like six months later, our friend comes to town and he's like, oh, it's funny, you know, like when you asked me if Michael was queer, he asked me the same question. And I was like, oh, you fucker. I was like, so you knew we were both queer and you decided not to tell us. He's like, yeah, I'm not trying to like match you. I just wanted you to meet each other. And so the next night I met Michael and slept with him and it was great. Uh, and we've been together since. And so... We started like dating casually. And then prior to Michael, like I'd have like on off intimate, like passionate sex, but like it was really like physical, you know, like we're having sex, we're having a good time, but then you're leaving. Like that's, that's the way this is. And maybe one day I'll marry a woman. And Michael, like we talked, you know, like we actually had a conversation about our lives and what we like. And there was like, oh, there are more things than the sex that bonds us. And so I was like, oh, like, I could, like, live with you. Or, like, I could, like, fall in love with you. And so then I was like, hey, these walls are coming down and I kind of like you. So I need us to be monogamous. And he was just like, what? Why? Like, what does that have to do with anything? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I just, like, want to trust you. And so I need to know that you're not going to leave me. And so, like, we need to be monogamous. And that lasted maybe three months. <laughs> Uh, and three months happened and like, we just had this like sudden mutual thing. He was traveling to go to China for work. And so he went for like the summer and he's like, I'm going to be gone for like six weeks. And I was like, cool. So we can have sex with other people. Right. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, he's like, you're okay with that. I'm like, yeah, it's just sex. Like, I'm not going to leave you. We're just going to have sex with other people because we need to have sex with other people. Like we're humans and you're gone. And so then that kind of like started it. And then like, we had, we had like a threesome, I think, once. And then our one-year anniversary, we went to an orgy. <laughs> uh, we went to a bear party in New York City uh, at Paddles. And it was like the best, like, welcome to your future. Like, this is what it is to be in a gay relationship. Like, you can go with your partner to a sex party and have sex with all these men and not feel jealous and have a great time and even be intimate with some people and not risk losing your partner. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> I've evolved, but I've also like maintained, right? I think there's like a moment to have sex just to have sex, right? Like there are moments where I'm just like super horny and I want someone to come over and I'm like, let's just have some fun. I'm going to fuck you. You're going to fuck me. Like we'll make something work and have a great time and then you can leave. And there's like a mutual respect there. And then other times it's just like more than that. And I think there's like a, I need someone to come over and cuddle and play with them and talk a little bit. And that's okay too. 
in the middle of having lots of transactional sex. They were moments that someone would decide to have a very intimate moment with me that they would initiate. And I'd just be really confused how they were capable of doing that with a stranger. And so then when I realized like, oh, like you can have intimacy with like people when you choose to, it was like about figuring out when to balance, like letting myself just be like vulnerable with someone. I I feel like it's been only like two years that I've been starting to unpack this. And I just think I unpacked it really fast is the thing. And so like, not only am I like capable now of having really intimate sexual interactions with people, I also feel like I'm capable of having like intimate sexual relationships with other people much quicker than I thought was possible. And then past that, like I've tied that into SNM now. And so like SNM play is like a full intimacy mindfuck for me now. And like, I'm usually the dominant situations or the top. Um, and so for me to trust someone to be the sub or the bottom, for me, they're both difficult especially being in a submissive role um, and giving up control. And I didn't realize how liberating it could be to do that with someone you trust. And SNM is teaching me that. And so like, I have one person I really trust to do that with me and it's really beautiful. And now like I dom in a completely different way now, instead of like making someone feel used because I want to use them. It's like, I want them to feel used because they want to. Um, And it's just like a really slight framework change, but it's like somehow feels like I'm taking care of them now more than it is just me taking care of myself. It's like, I don't, if someone wants to come into, um, into my bed and be vulnerable, I'll be like, oh, okay. Like we can be vulnerable. Um, And someone wants to come into my bed and like be transactional. Like we can be transactional and that's okay. Cause there's a benefit to that too. Um, and sometimes like you get these like happy surprises where you accidentally cross over. I'm just like really happy where I am right now. I think I'm learning a whole lot more about myself and learning how to like sexually interact with people more now um, in a much more deeper way. But like at the same time, I'm really joyful that I can still appreciate sex on a just like raw level where it's like, oh, like we can have this really intimate moment and break down a lot of our walls. Um, But also like we can just like fucking pretend like we're wrestling and fuck and me spank you and spit in your mouth and tell you to leave my house and it'll be great. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like mostly a top. And so I'm just like finally understanding how to bottom. I met this couple with my partner at P-Town three years ago. And they were a couple that, you know, we bonded with at T-Dance. And by bonded, like, my partner made out with one of them. And I sucked on this beautiful Japanese man's enlarged nipples. And we're like, oh, this is great. Uh, And they lived in Brooklyn. And we, at the time, still lived uh, in New York. And so... They were like, oh, like, you guys are great. You're our kind of people. You should come to our parties. Uh, And they called these parties uh, Social Plus. And so what would happen is you'd have one room that was like cocktails, uh, maybe some like crude terre platter, which I had never saw. uh, Because the other room was like a playroom. And they had a sling set up, red lights, poppers, and like a play sheet if you needed to go piss on someone. And so uh, I was always in that room, so I never saw the crude terre platter. Uh, But (laughs) And then... 
last year I went to P-Town and they were there and my partner unfortunately couldn't go. And so they're like, do you want to just like roll with us one night and like see where, what happens? And they are much older and much more experienced gay men. Uh, and so we just had like a really beautiful intimate night. We like walked around P-Town and like smelled the salt and just like learned to breathe together. It like helped me understand mindfulness. Uh, and then we'd go back and have like great sex. Um, and then I achieved my first anal orgasm and it was like amazing and such a different bodily feeling and I loved it. And then, um, I now long to feel that again, I guess. And so part of it was just like, I think my, it was easier cause I was rolling so I could like connect the synapses. Right. But then like part of it's like, I have, I've had my prostate played with really well and I think I can get that again without rolling. Um, and so that's like a, a new goal. Now, when I travel, I very much try to find the closest bathhouse to stay at. I have this strategy now where it's like, I go in and I'm like, I have to get an orgasm right away. So I find any person ready to play. And then I'm like, okay, I came at least once. And now I will lounge. And whatever happens, happens. You already had one orgasm. It's great. And then, you know, you can just relax. Um, and so... This last year, I had to go to Milan for work. Me and my partner went together and I found the bathhouses. And so I went one day and it was like great, like facilities. Like it felt like you were in Italy. The quality of Italian, like Greco-Romanness and gay and real. And it was like, holy shit. Like, again, I'm always surprised when these things are like actually real. Um, and we made friends at that bathhouse and they showed us around Milan. So we wanted to go a second time. And so I, we didn't know that Sunday is like the busiest day for the bathhouse. Like Italians, gay Italians, apparently that's like, they spend their whole day in this bathhouse. It has a cafe. It has a, a little lunch, like cafe area. It has a espresso bar, an alcohol bar. And there's just like lounge chairs everywhere. There's a, there's like a full jacuzzi room. That's like the room is a jacuzzi. There's like a full like Olympic size pool that you can like dive underneath to get into the jacuzzi room. It is elaborate. Royal Hammam. So check it out if you want to, because it is worth it. Uh, but on Sunday, everyone just goes and like just lounges there. And I just had not seen that many like attractive men that were attractive to me. It was like this perfect like tan, slightly hairy, like chiseled bodies everywhere. Like literally in every room, there was like 20 of them. And so like, I just had a panic attack. I was like, I literally had like an anxiety meltdown. And I was like, oh my God, this is too beautiful. I was like, this is so much. And like, I struggled because I was like, I don't think I'm that hot. Like I, I can't be around this. Like I am an anomaly. Like I don't look like any of these. And there's no way they're gonna be attracted to me because like they're like, you know, Adonises. And so like my partner like had to like coax me in the middle of this like bathhouse. And he's like, you're fine. You don't have to have sex with anyone if you're overwhelmed. And if you are overwhelmed and wanna have sex with them, like just go have sex, it's gonna be okay. Someone will have sex with you, you're in a bathhouse. And I'm like, no, 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 this is too much, this is too much. And he was like, no, you're also hot. Like people are attracted to you. Like. You know that. You have sex with people all the fucking time. And I'm like, 
yeah, but this is different. And he's like, it's not. <laughs> um, and then I finally like, cooled down. But like till this day, I think about like, whoa, that was like way too much beauty and way too many like beautiful men that I don't think I can have sex with. And so it like freaked me out. And then I had sex with a bunch of them. <laughs> It was great. I, that's why I personally like to rent rooms when I go to bathhouses because even outside of Milan, um, even if it's an off day at any bathhouse, I sometimes just want a little escape room. Yeah. Like some decompression area. Yeah, I think I, I, I was also like that. And then now that like I've made, I've like created this like thing where like Hawks is, like the bathhouse that I go to in Portland is Hawks. And I've just created this as like my space like this is a shared space and i'm like actually a part of this um and somehow there's like a switch that went off with just that facility that i was like oh like i can just lounge in the sauna and like if someone wants to have sex with me great and if they don't want to have sex with me i'm like relaxing in a sauna and that's great um and so that switch worked for that bathhouse and it's still not true for any bathhouse um, but it's really a good space to be in because you can just enjoy actually the spa part of it and also like be like, oh, I'm pampering myself and potentially having sex and it's great. One of the most interesting sexual experiences I had which has been very rare, is having sex with another Arab man. Most Middle Easterns are attracted to white men and I find that problematic, but they just don't sleep with each other often. And I've engaged and tried to sleep with Middle Eastern men and they're just like, no. So I was in New York, I went to the Eagle uh, with my partner one night and I was cruising around and I spotted him and I could tell he's Arabic and we spoke Arabic. Um, but then I assumed that he wasn't interested in me because I'm like, oh, it's a gay Arab guy. He's gonna go look for some like white muscle daddy. I like hooked up with someone while he was watching me because he was like on this like upper bench area. And so he was just watching me like smiling and jerking off. And so then he made out with me and I was like, what? Like you made out with me? And he was like, yeah, like, you're so fucking hot. And I was like, oh, finally, like a gay Arab man that's like into another gay Arab man. And so we exchanged numbers. And then he lived like a couple of blocks away from me because Jersey City, all the Egyptians live there. And we had sex and it was great. And we didn't even have penetrative sex. It was like that, like, you know, like sly, like inner thigh lubed up sex that like people have sometimes. I don't know if that's a thing, but like. Um, we had that and it was just as great. Uh, and it was intimate. It was great. It was weird in a good way. in that like, I heard someone speak in Arabic while like having sex and they were a man. Um, and like Arabic for me was like what my parents spoke, what my religion spoke. Like I didn't even watch Arabic movies. And like, sometimes we listen to Arabic music. Like a, it, it's a very intimate language for me. And so for me to have sex with another man and for him to just moan in Arabic, like you just make different moans, right? Like it's like a weird concept, but like, you know, people moan different languages. Uh, and so I'd hear, hear an Arabic moan or just hearing him say yes, like in Arabic and be like, Aywa. and I'm just like, Phew. it was so hot, but like my brain was just like, whoa, this is like a different experience of like 
using the language of my family and my oppressor and having sex with a man. Uh, I did have sex with another Arab man and it did not go well. Um, I was taking the path train back to my apartment and he was staring at me and I was like wearing my like gay work outfit. So I guess I had like, you know, five inch shorts, a button down shirt with like, you know, three buttons unlocked and, and my dog uh, who was in a bag. And so it, I very much gave that like, yes, I'm gay. Like, <laughs> and so I got off the train and he like followed me and he knew I was Arab. And so he looked at me, he's like, he's like, you gay? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, and he's, he's in Arabic. He's like, so do you want to come over? I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, I can come over. And I like text my partner who's like waiting at home. I'm like, oh, hey, so someone at the train just cruised me. And I think I'm going to go home with them real quick. Um, I'll be I'll be home in a bit. And he's like, okay, have fun. Uh, and so I go to his house. And there's this thing in, in, in Jersey City and like immigrants. Like you, you move in. And if you're a single person, like you go to these like apartments that they like rent you the bed. And so it's like a room and there's like eight mattresses and you rent the bed and it's segregated by gender. So there's just like this male dorm house conversion thing. So I go to one of these, not realizing that's where I'm going. And he's like, we're going to hook up in the bathroom. And I was like, okay. And so we're in this little bathroom. My dog is with me. So I had this like backpack that my dog was in. He's like a 20 pound dog. And so we're in the bathroom, my dog, him and me hooking up and he tries to like dominate me and I'm like, no, you're clearly like not capable of doing this correctly. You're new to sex. I can see it. I'm not going to trust you right now. So like, you're going to suck me off. And he refused to. And so then we were at this like stalemate of like jerking off. And so I was like, all right, I'll help you come. And so then I like played with his balls and was eating his nipples. And then like he goes to come and decides to come on my dog. And I'm glad your reaction is exactly what it is. It's like shock and disgust and then laughter. Cause that's exactly what happened. I was like, what the fuck? Like, and I have like a, a like a poodle. So like, it's like a dog with like curly hair that like I had to like give a bath because he came on my dog. And so I just look at him like, what the fuck? And he's like, that's what you get? And then was like, you should get out of here. And so like, I like, was like, fuck you, dude. Like, it, it didn't even bother me of like how he looked down on me. Cause I'm like, you're living such a lie to yourself that like, okay, you got this one interaction, but like, I'm going home to my partner and I can have more sex and like not deal with your shittiness. And I was like, my other gay Arab experience. And it was so bizarre. Yeah. Sure. It just like didn't emotionally get to me, I guess. It was just more like, fuck you. Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> my best move is that after I achieve orgasm, I can stay hard. And I can stay hard for like three to four hours, depending on the moment. I knew it was a superpower because I've been with people and had them achieve orgasm. And then I'll notice that like, I'll keep trying to play with their cocks. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this is too sensitive. Stop it. Like, we're done. Like, my penis can't handle this. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, just keep going. Like, it's, you, if you push through that, like, just a little bit, you can, you can hit restart and keep going and it won't stop. 
I met my partner and we'd have sex and I'd come and I'd be like, all right, let's keep going. And he'd be like, no, we've been fucking for like 45 minutes. Like it's over. And I'm like, no, like I, I, I need to keep going. There's like two more in here and I like am still hard. And he's like, yeah, that's not typical. And I'm like, what? No, I'm, we're gay. Like we're horny people. Like we should ha keep having sex. And he's like, yeah, you're like special. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's probably for like the, the bottom pig and certain people who are like, I douched, you know, for like an hour. So I need this for a long period. And I'm like, I can be that person for you. If I meet people who have the same sort of insatiable sex drive as me and like we're sexually compatible, I have this like very like, oh my God, like if we were together, it'd be like Thelma and Louise. Like we would just like fuck until we die. And like, we would just like deteriorate. It's fucking great. Like I have a couple of boys that I play with now that like, I like push them and I'm like, oh, this is too aggressive. Especially cause like I f like play a dom role a lot in, in our scenes and I'll like bite someone and they'll be like, yeah, I love that. And I'm like, like, I be a little harder than I thought I should. And they're like, you could have gone harder. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> um, I think it's changed uh, as I've grown. And so when I was younger, like a hole is a hole is a hole. And so it was like, I can get, stay hard, get hard, stay hard and keep plowing away. And now there's like this, like, oh, I will get slightly soft now if the set and setting isn't like on par. And so there's something I'm looking for more now in a sexual experience that if it's not there and it's like, oh, this is just a physical connection and this is, is what it is, then I'll get soft and then be like, okay, we can try again, but this is good. I really enjoy being a dom and like being a top. And there's this like weird conflation I have because it's like, is it because of the fact that like I could have internalized homophobia and like, there's this like acceptance culture of like being a top or being a dom is more more manly. But like, I also just really fucking like it. And so I'm starting to just own that like, I'm a good top and like, I'm a great dom. Like I know how to do this pretty well. And I think it's because I'm so sensitive and aware of like how things can go south that like, I know how to execute being a dom and a top really well. And so that's really cool. I just like, think that like being aggressive is like a no-no. And so like when I get to live it out sexually, I know how to do it safely and it'll be great. So I, I could say I fell in love with my first girlfriend, the one that I make out with in the right end. Uh, her name's Amanda. And I fell in love with her because I just felt this, like this romantic feeling towards her. She broke up with me and said, your commitment feels like a brick in my throat. And that was like, I don't remember anything else about our relationship other than like the physical thing that happened and that last final statement. It was such a negative enforcement. It's like, oh, you could fall in love with someone and really care about them. And then saying like, oh, you love me too much that it's like killing me. And that semen really like fucked me up and that like I really couldn't fall in love with someone for a really long time. It just like ended it for me. And so then I always associated like my lack of romanticism with people being like, oh, there's no spark. Things would fizzle out. Like my infatuation would like go away and then my walls would come up. And then I'd be like, I'm not in love with you. And so I started my relationship with my partner right now really 
assuming that was just not a real thing. Like romanticism is not real. It's like Hollywood bullshit that's temporary. But like relationships are more nuanced than that. They're harder. Being in love is just not real. I mean, I've, you know, been in therapy for four years now. But it really um, got unpacked. I like started taking ecstasy two years ago. And my therapist has been like really encouraging of it because it helped me really take some walls down. And like, I've, I've only done ecstasy in like really intimate settings with like four other people. So it's not like a, we're going to the club and dancing. It's like, I have sex. And then we sit and talk for like an hour and I cry. In one of those sessions, I had it and my partner was there. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I didn't realize that like, I was the person preventing me from falling in love with you. Like, I thought it was like, a, oh, there's just like not a match or like, this isn't real. Um, and it was so amazing that like, while I was rolling, I was able to actually like connect those dots in my brain. I was like, oh, I'm in control of this. Like I could put my guard down and just say like, oh, I love you. And you make me feel really good. Um, and that's special and that's great. Um, and so now I like can fall in love like a lot more easily. And like, I can say I'm in love with those people that I like rolled with just because I'm able to let myself make that choice. Fruitful interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Help support Fruit Bowl's efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and occasional bonus content. Fruit Bowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Syra B. This has been a production of Cubed Media, LLC. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.